Jane Austen's Emma, Volume 2, Part 4, Chapters 10 through 12. In Chapter 10, Mrs. Weston and Emma pay a visit to Miss Bates's residence to see the new pianoforte that was given anonymously to Jane Fairfax. When they arrive there, the old woman, Mrs. Bates, is asleep by the fireplace, and Frank Churchill is mending her spectacles, after having assisted Jane in getting the piano to stand up without wobbling. Jane is asked to play for them, and Emma is sensitive to the fact that Jane seems to be in a nervous state. Emma surmises that she is still feeling emotional about the instrument. Frank and Emma discuss the gift, and Frank also discusses Jane herself in her hearing. Frank teases Emma about her theory about who sent it. Despite her complicated feelings toward Jane, Emma feels uncomfortable about having this conversation within earshot of Jane. She says to Frank in a whisper that, It is not fair. Mine was a random guess. Do not distress her. Frank goes to Jane at the piano and asks her to play a waltz, evidently one to which they danced at Weymouth, and this illusion embarrasses her, for she blushes. Emma wished he would be less pointed, yet could not help being amused, and when on glancing her eye towards Jane Fairfax, she caught the remains of a smile when she saw that with all the deep blush of consciousness, there had been a smile of secret delight. She had less scruple in the amusement and much less compunction with respect to her, end quote. Still, Emma feels awkward about the way that Frank is openly discussing the various theories about who may have sent Jane the instrument. She whispers to Frank, You speak too plain. She must understand you. I hope she does. I would have her understand me. I am not in the least ashamed of my meaning. But really, I am half ashamed and wish I had never taken up the idea. I am very glad that you did and that you communicated it to me. I have now a key to all her odd looks and ways. Leave shame to her. If she does wrong, she ought to feel it. End quote. From this somewhat mysterious and serious topic, there is a bit of comedy in the rest of this short chapter. Miss Bates, who is fond of speaking in a conversational style that Emma has characterized as a medley, is in an adjoining room shouting out the window to Mr. Knightley, who is riding by. Every word of both sides of the conversation can be heard. Mr. Knightley asks about Miss Fairfax, expressing the hope that she has not caught a cold, at which Mrs. Weston gives Emma a meaningful look because she thinks it supports her claim that Mr. Knightley is in love with Jane Fairfax. Miss Bates is trying to invite Mr. Knightley to stop for a brief visit. But do come in. Who do you think is here? Miss Woodhouse and Miss Smith, so kind as to call to hear the new piano forte. Do put up your horse at the crown and come in. Well, said he in a deliberating manner, for five minutes, perhaps. And here is Mrs. Weston and Mr. Frank Churchill, too. Quite delightful. So many friends. No, not now. I thank you. I could not stay two minutes. I must get on to Kingston as fast as I can. Oh, do come in. They will be so very happy to see you. No, no, your room is full enough. I will call another day and hear the pianoforte.
Obviously, Mr. Knightley was on the verge of coming in for a visit until he heard that Frank Churchill was there, and suddenly he did not have enough time. Accustomed as he is to Miss Bates and her medleys, he also knows that everyone is probably listening. So he says, in response to her comment about what a delightful evening they had last night, Oh, very delightful indeed. I can say nothing less, for I suppose Miss Woodhouse and Mr. Frank Churchill are hearing everything that passes. And, raising his voice still more, I do not see why Miss Fairfax should not be mentioned too. I think Miss Fairfax dances very well, and Mrs. Weston is the very best country dance player, without exception, in England. Now, if your friends have any gratitude, they will say something pretty loud about you and me in return, but I cannot stay to hear it. End of quote. Chapter 11 is primarily devoted to planning the upcoming ball. There is much discussion about where to have it. Frank Churchill first proposes that they dance at the Coles, but they conclude that the Coles house would not be big enough for all the couples likely to attend. The Weston house was also considered, but similarly would not provide enough room. And in the meantime, Mr. Woodhouse is concerned about possible drafts with people opening doors, as he is always concerned about people catching cold. They finally reach a consensus that the Crown Inn would be an excellent site for the ball. There is a room that is big enough for the ball, although there is some question about whether there is a nearby room large enough for a meal along with the dance. There is a small card room nearby and a larger room at the other end of the house requiring them to traverse a lengthy passage. Quote, Mrs. Weston was afraid of drafts for the young people in that passage, and neither Emma nor the gentleman could tolerate the prospect of being miserably crowded at supper. Mrs. Weston proposed having no regular supper, merely sandwiches, etc., set out in the little room, but that was scouted as a wretched suggestion. A private dance, without sitting down to supper, was pronounced an infamous fraud upon the rights of men and women, and Mrs. Weston must not speak of it again. She then took another line of expediency, and looking into the doubtful room, observed, I do not think it is so very small. We shall not be many, you know. And Mr. Weston, at the same time, walking briskly with long steps through the passage, was calling out, You talk a great deal of the length of this passage, my dear. It is a mere nothing at all and not the least draft from the stairs, end quote. So it is decided the ball will be held at the Crown Inn. Unfortunately, though, in Chapter 12, there is a complication. Before they are able to fix the date for the ball, Frank Churchill is summoned back to Enscombe, requiring the group to give up the plan for the ball until Frank is able to return to Hartfield again. Evidently, Mrs. Churchill has once again succumbed to one of her periodic bouts of illness, which no one believes are real, and Frank must return home. On the verge of his departure, Frank pays a visit to Emma, and during an awkward scene, he appears on the verge of saying something very important. As they are briefly alone, and he is looking out the window, In short, said he, perhaps Miss Woodhouse... I think you can hardly be quite without suspicion. He looked at her as if wanting to read her thoughts, 
She hardly knew what to say. It seemed like the forerunner of something absolutely serious, which she did not wish. Forcing herself to speak, therefore, in the hope of putting it by, she calmly said, You are quite in the right. It was most natural to pay your visit, then. He was silent. She believed he was looking at her, probably reflecting on what she had said and trying to understand the manner. She heard him sigh. It was natural for him to feel that he had cause to sigh. He could not believe her to be encouraging him. A few awkward moments passed, and he sat down again. End quote. A paragraph or two later, we have this from the narrator, again in the free, indirect style that channels Emma's thoughts. He stopped again, rose again, and seemed quite embarrassed. He was more in love with her than Emma had supposed, and who can say how it might have ended if his father had not made his appearance? Mr. Woodhouse soon followed, and the necessity of exertion made him composed. Emma is interpreting his awkward hesitations and his seriousness as indicating that Frank is in love with her, even though he did not say that. As the visit comes to an end, she reflects that, quote, he had almost told her that he loved her. What strength or what constancy of affection he might be subject to was another point, but at present she could not doubt his having a decidedly warm admiration, a conscious preference of herself, and this persuasion joined to all the rest made her think that she must be a little in love with him, in spite of every previous determination against it. I certainly must, said she, this sensation of listlessness, weariness, stupidity, this disinclination to sit down and employ myself, this feeling of everything's being dull and insipid about the house. I must be in love. I should be the oddest creature in the world if I were not, for a few weeks at least. End quote. So as the chapter closes upon these reflections, Emma has concluded that Frank must be in love with her and she might possibly be in love with him.